Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, greetings to all of you. Today we are continuing our sermon series on the book of Jonah. And I don't know about you, but I'm absolutely in love with this book and its uh, relevance for us today. Here is one of the clearest proofs of the inspiration of the Bible. A book like Jonah, written 3,000 years ago in a completely different context, still speaks to our generation with such relevance and power because it is part of the inspired, timeless Word of God. This time, I want to welcome all those who are watching from our various campuses, the Crawford Theaters in Northwest Calgary, our campus in Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to say hello to our online viewers as well. In Jonah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah to arise and go to the great city of Nineveh and bring its people a message of repentance. And we saw how Jonah went in the opposite direction in order to bypass God's assignment. But God in His grace took the initiative to pursue His wayward prophet, to bring him back into alignment with His plans. Last time I spoke, we looked at how Jonah and his sailing crew ended up in a, a furious storm. And we left Jonah in a precarious position and he was about to be tossed into the stormy waters. The writer of the book of Jonah uses uh, vivid pictures and imageries all throughout the book. One of the key ideas in this book revolves around the words up and down. You will see it frequently throughout this small book. Now watch this. The wickedness of Nineveh had come up before the Lord, and the Lord asked Jonah to arise and go to the great city. And when the captain of the ship finds Jonah asleep, he uses the same imperative, arise, get up, Jonah. Now look at the downward slide. And Jonah attempted to run away from God and went down to Joppa. And then he goes down below the deck of the ship. And the downward spiral continues as Jonah is thrown into the water and he descends to the bottom of the sea. And even as Jonah sinks into the ocean, God raises him up once again through a miraculous deliverance. If you're running from God, your life is headed in one direction. You're going downhill. And sometimes it's when you hit the lowest point in your life, you come to discover God's power to raise you up. A few years ago, when I was still fairly new on staff here at Center Street Church, I faced a big pastoral challenge. A young lady asked to meet with me. Let's call her Jessica. In a few weeks' time, Jessica was getting married. The wedding date was set. They were going to get married in an exotic location somewhere. Families were coming from all around the world. But here was the problem. Jessica was a Christian, and her fiancé was someone who belonged to another faith. Jessica knew very well that it was unwise to date someone of another faith. 
Nevertheless, she started seeing him because he seemed like a nice guy. And before she knew, the relationship just progressed to the next level, and she was in love with this young man. All along, Jessica kept resisting God's promptings. Later, when her boyfriend proposed to her, Jessica didn't have the heart to say no. The emotional bond was so strong, so she agreed to get married. And the date was set, all the preparations for the wedding were going in full swing, but the nagging conviction of God's spirit would not go away. So Jessica asked to meet with me, for she wanted to know what she needed to do in this situation. Now, as a pastor, I'm called to be a shepherd of God's flock. And I take the task very seriously because I know that one day I have to give account to God for my ministry to people. So gently and lovingly, I tried to show Jessica the folly of her decision. I explained to her, when you go against God's will, you forfeit God's blessings. When you make decisions your way, you will miss out on God's best for your life. It was indeed a heartbreaking situation. Wedding invitations had been printed, flight tickets had been booked, all arrangements had been made. How can you call up a wedding at the 11th hour? Jessica realized the implications of her decision, and she sat before me that day, and she cried and cried and cried. Her life had just hit rock bottom, and she was in a state of torment. She knew she was clearly out of alignment with God's plan for her life and had landed in a mess. I'll tell you how this story unfolded when we come to the end of this message. You'll have to wait. <laughs> but remember this. If you're running away from God, your life is headed in one direction. It's going downhill and soon you will hit the bottom. And sometimes, it's when you hit the lowest point in life, you come to personally discover God's power to raise you up. That's what we see in our text today. Jonah's life had hit rock bottom. But now it was time for him to discover God's power to rescue him. If you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, to chapter 2, verse 10. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. 
The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Lord, thank you for the privilege of exalting your name through a time of praise and worship. And you said that when we exalt you, you will draw all people to yourself. So Jesus, even the preaching of the word this morning will serve to exalt you in our eyes, that we will see your grace, your unconditional love, I pray, God, for people who are going through a difficult time in their life, who are about to hit the rock bottom, that this message will bring encouragement and comfort, that, Lord, our hope will be on you and you alone. So come and minister to us, Lord, in the power of your Spirit. So we commit this time to you, and we ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. My wife is an amazing cook, and I love to eat, so it makes for a good combination. While my wife has always been an awesome cook, it's only after coming to Canada she learned to bake. She can now bake the most delicious cookies, buns, muffins, cupcakes. But her specialty is the apple pie. She can even make her own flaky crust. And I love watching her at work. She carefully mixes all the ingredients together. Granny Smith apples, butter, sugar, cinnamon, nutmeg, eggs. She stuffs them inside the crust and she places the pan in the oven to bake them. And my wife tells me it is important to set the right temperature and timing in the oven if you want a good pie. The apples need to become soft and the crust needs to become golden. You know, I am so impressed by all these details because the only thing I can bake in an oven is a frozen pizza. <laughs> that too after reading the instructions five times over. <laughs> the apple pie becomes a delicacy when it stays in the heated oven for close to an hour. You cannot hurry the process. But my kids and I, we get very impatient. So we keep asking, is it ready yet? Is it time to take it out? But when the right time comes, when the crust is all golden, when the apples are soft and the filling is bubbly, my wife pulls the pie out of the oven, and voila, we are in for a great treat. Sometimes, God also puts us in the oven of life. A heated situation, a furnace experience, a difficult season, a scorching trial. And all along we wonder, how long is this going to go? When is this going to come to an end? When will my situation change? Lord, can you please take me out now? 
But God will not let you leave that season too soon. Because if you come out too soon, you may not have learned the lessons he intended to teach. And if he keeps you too long, you will get burnt. But at the appointed time, when God sees that you're ready, he brings you out. God decided that his wayward prophet could spend some time in the oven or in the belly of a fish in order to teach Jonah some lessons in obedience. One moment, Jonah is relaxing, sailing on a ship, sipping iced tea, going on a cruise to Spain. And before he knew, he was sputtering in the water, trying to save his life. Life can change pretty quickly. And Jonah's life had taken a dramatic twist, and he ends up inside a fish. And at the end of three days, when God saw that he was ready, he brought him out. Now look at Jonah 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word provided could also be translated as appointed or commissioned. It's in fact a royal word a king would use when he officially commissions an ambassador to do something on his behalf. So God sends forth his commission, and all of a sudden, Moby Dick comes out of nowhere because God had commissioned the sea creature to be his ambassador. And the fish carefully pays attention to God's instructions. Don't you just swallow and spit him out when I tell you to. The fish says, yes, Lord, I am at your service. Now, critics of the Bible often get hung up on this question. Did Jonah actually get swallowed by a fish? What kind of a goofy fairy tale is this? And people all over the years have questioned the veracity of this account in the Bible. And many are cynical at how Jonah could have survived inside a fish's stomach for three days without getting digested. And therefore, many liberal scholars conclude the book of Jonah is not a historical account, but it's an allegorical story. Well, before you come to that conclusion, you need to know the book of Jonah is full of miracles. And Jonah in the fish's belly is a smaller miracle compared to the other miracles in this book. When Jonah is on the run, a terrible storm comes out of nowhere and when he is tossed into the waters, the storm stops instantly. Jonah preaches, and a wicked, wicked city like Nineveh repents and turns to the Lord. In fact, that's the greatest miracle in the book of Jonah. A vine grows overnight like Jack and the Beanstalk and withers when a worm eats it. The book of Jonah is filled with supernatural events. And that is because the God of the Bible is a miracle-working God. He always has been, and He always will be. A miracle is an event wrought by the power of God. It is God intervening by setting aside the laws of nature to do a, a supernatural act. And when God does a miracle, it shows to the natural world that there is a supernatural world that's all around us. See, we are bound by the laws of nature, but God is not. So God doesn't have to sweat to keep a human alive inside the guts of a fish. 
In fact, the only reason any of us are alive today is because God is the sustainer of life. And if we believe the Bible, that God spoke and the world came into existence, if we believe that He made a way for His people to walk through the Red Sea, if we believe that God provided food from heaven for 40 years and sustained His people, if we believe that the sun stood still and time froze for Joshua and the Israelites to finish the battle, if we believe that a virgin can conceive and bring forth a child, and if we believe that Jesus died on the cross and three days later He rose from the dead, then is it a big deal for this great God to keep Jonah alive inside a fish? <laughs> I don't know about you, but that settles the question for me, and I believe firmly that Jonah is a historical account. Now look at Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2. Verse 1 begins like this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, from the belly of the fish. Look at the word then. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Jonah had all along been running away from God. His relationship with God was distant. And this is the very first time in the book when we see Jonah opening his mouth to pray. When God's word came to him to go to Nineveh, Jonah should have prayed, but he didn't. When the storm came and the sailors were all crying out to their gods, Jonah should have prayed, but he didn't. When the sailors asked Jonah, what do we need to do for this storm to stop? Jonah should have prayed, but he didn't. But now that he's thrown into the water, he's in deep distress, he gets swallowed by a fish, and then Jonah finally remembered to pray. Now, isn't that true of us today? When life is good and we are coasting smoothly, we hit the snooze on the alarm. It's difficult to wake up and pray. But when you fall on hard times, no one needs to remind you to pray. Our prayer life that has been dormant for so long all of a sudden comes alive and we hit a rough patch. And that is because we have been wired to pray. Prayer is a universal response in times of distress. It, in fact, spans across religion, culture, ethnicity, or social status. And you have to go against your instinct to not pray in an overwhelming situation. It is hard to keep prayer away. As someone said, as long as there are final exams in school, you, there will always be prayer in schools. So when you hit the lowest point in your life, when you're broken, busted, when your back is against the wall, no matter how strong you are, how sophisticated you are, how intelligent you are, and what your beliefs about God are, there's something in the human heart that turns to God for help in times of trouble. So Jonah finally looked up to God in prayer. As Jonah recollects being thrown into the stormy sea, he speaks of his distress and anguish. Look at these verses. 
verses 2 and 3. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. The graphic details continue in verses 5 and 6. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When in verse 2, Jonah says, From the depths of the grave I called for help. The word called could also be translated as a desperate scream, a heart-wrenching cry. When your head is submerged underwater, it's not a very pleasant feeling. It's even worse when you don't know how to swim. Imagine being hurled into the sea and going down under the deep, wide ocean. Jonah was looking at a watery grave. He hit the bottom of the ocean and is caught by the seaweeds. And his heart-wrenching cry went up to God. It is impossible to pray a profound, solemn prayer in that desperate moment when you're gasping for breath. In such times of deep distress, your prayer is not a string of nice-sounding spiritual cliches. It is a cry. A groan, a sigh, an expression of anguish. Jonah was sinking in deep water. Life was ebbing away, and his faint cry from the bottom of the sea reached out to God. In the artistic world, this painting is considered to be the second greatest in all of history, next only to Mona Lisa. It is a phenomenal work by a Norwegian artist named Edward Munch. In the year 1893, he painted this famous picture called The Scream. This is an expressive painting. It speaks universally to the suffering of humanity, and it portrays distortion, confusion, pain, and chaos that surrounds us. John Swinton, in his book Raging with Compassion, writes these words about this painting. She screams and screams, yet nothing is heard. She has no language to express what she is feeling. Her lips move, her eyes widen, straining to articulate the scream. She covers her ears in anticipation of its impending volume, but only silence reigns. Where can she find a language that will enable her to articulate her pain and sadness? Sometimes that's how prayer looks like in times of distress. It is not always a long, nice-sounding, fluent, eloquent, flowing speech. Some of the powerful prayers are a cry from the heart. Because the power of prayer is not in our words, it's in the one whom we are praying to. The world of a 12-year-old girl from Ethiopia turned into a nightmare. This is a true story. It was on news, covered in news all around the world a few years ago. Seven violent men abducted the young girl, 
took her to the outskirts, intending to force her into marriage. The men held the girl for seven days, repeatedly beating her. And apparently such incidents are common in parts of rural Ethiopia, as men band together to abduct young girls for the purpose of securing a bride. The girls are typically beaten into submission and raped. And in this particular instance, there was not a human being within earshot to hear the cries of this girl in deep distress. But her cries were heard nevertheless. The unlikely heroes were three majestic Ethiopian lions. Famous for their large black manes, these lions are the national symbol of the country. In response to the girl's cries for help, three large lions leaped from the bush and chased her captors away. The lions did not harm the girl, but they formed a protective perimeter around her. And a half a day later, when the police arrived, the guardian lion simply stood up and walked away. The police officer was quoted saying, the lions stood guard until we found her, and then they just left her like a gift and went back to the forest. Now, this 12-year-old girl was helpless, defenseless, powerless to change her horrific circumstances, and she voices her feeble cries to God. And we have a compassionate God who hears the cries of the poor. They don't go unnoticed. He heard her desperate plea for help and sent divine rescue. When prayers turn into a cry, it becomes a powerful weapon. And God sends help in time of our greatest need. In the same way, Jonah cried out to God from the bottom of the saying. And God didn't say, Jonah, you're a bad boy. You deserve this. You brought this upon yourself. This is what you get when you run away from me. No. Our God is a great Savior, and He delights to redeem His people. Another interesting aspect of Jonah's prayer is this. Yes, it was a scream, but it was also a psalm. When Jonah is saved from drowning and he's now inside the belly of the fish, he manages to regain composure and his prayer is essentially a psalm of thanksgiving. All of Jonah too is a prayer, but these are not Jonah's words, but this is a borrowed prayer from the prayer book of Israel. Or if you carefully look at it, most parts of this prayer is taken from the Psalms. Jonah is quoting portions from Psalm 5, Psalm 69, Psalm 18, and Psalm 103. So Jonah is basically praying the words of the psalmist. Here's yet another prayer principle. When we are in a situation and we don't know how to pray, you can pray the scripture and allow the words of the Bible to guide your prayer. Praying the Bible means talking to God about what comes to mind as you read a passage of the Bible. So you allow your prayer themes to flow from God's word. 
And I want to encourage you to try and experiment it in your devotional time this week. See, many of us get stuck. We pray for the same old things with the same old words, and it gets dull and repetitive. But the secret to keeping your prayer life fresh is learning to pray the Bible. And I can say this from experience. In the most difficult times of my life, I've turned to the book of Psalms. And even though I didn't know at that moment how to even voice my concerns or even what to say, the Psalms have always provided me a language to express my heart to God. As I studied this chapter of Jonah, I made yet another discovery that corrected my own misunderstanding. Many of us have the Jonah story wrong by reading the purpose of the fish incorrectly. I thought all along, and maybe it's just me, as the sailors were throwing Jonah into the ocean, a fish was waiting to get him. So we conclude that the fish was God's punishment for Jonah's disobedience. That is not true. It's not from the Bible. It may be from VeggieTales. <laughs> Listen to me. When Jonah is tossed into the sea, the raging storm stopped. But Jonah was drowning. He descended into the ocean bed to the point he was tangled in seaweeds. And when Jonah's life was ebbing away, when he thought the curtains had come down and it's all over, when he was about to die by drowning, the fish miraculously saved Jonah's life. The fish was not God's punishment, it was God's provision. It basically functioned like a lifeguard and snatched him from the jaws of death. So that is why nowhere do you see in the Bible the fish being presented in negative light. And even as you carefully look at Jonah's prayer, he's not complaining about his distress in the belly of the fish. He offers actually a prayer of thanksgiving to God for delivering him through that fish. For the fish did Jonah a big favor by swallowing him. Not only was Jonah's life saved, but it gave him much needed time to quietly reflect and contemplate. And it is right here in the tummy of the fish, Jonah recommits his life to God. He tells the Lord, I will go wherever you ask me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. Here I am. So the experience with the fish brought Jonah back into alignment with God's plan for his life. See, there are times we face difficult situations. We often read them incorrectly. We think that this is a punishment or an act of retribution, but what looks like punishment on the outside may actually be God's provision. And that's why some of life's biggest problems could be God's blessings in disguise. They serve to bring spiritual transformation and align us back to God's purposes. So your setbacks, disappointments, and failures can actually serve as a springboard to launch you into the destiny the Lord has in mind for your life. The season of layoff humbled you and taught you to rely on God. 
the difficulty in your marriage helped you to address some underlying issues and turned you into a better person. The health crisis shattered your self-sufficiency. The heartbreaking experience served to reevaluate your priorities. God is able to work all things for our ultimate good. He uses even the adversities of life for His purposes. So we, like Jonah, will be able to say from our heart, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. Here I am. I want to draw two specific applications for us from our text. Here's the first one. You may have deserted God, but God will never desert you. Look at what Jonah says here in the first part of verse 4. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Jonah thought God had banished him from his presence as a punishment for his disobedience. The very reason he asked to be thrown into the sea was because he was sentencing judgment on himself. For he thought he had crossed the line. But God was waiting all along for Jonah to turn to him. In fact, the storm, the fish, and the entire experience was orchestrated by God to simply get Jonah's attention. Jonah had clearly abandoned God. But God had clearly not abandoned Jonah. As the old saying goes, if you feel distant from God, guess who moved? And today, so many people who have fallen away from God buy into this lie from the enemy that they have fallen too far that there is no hope for them to return because God is not going to take them back after all that they had done. And they conclude that they are beyond redemption. They sentence judgment on themselves. Hear me. You are never too far gone. When you hit the rock bottom in your life, the enemy wants you to sink forever. But as we see in Jonah's prayer, but you brought my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. You may be in a pit of despair today. You may have hit the lowest low. You may be at the bottom rung of the ladder. But it doesn't matter how low you have sunk. For we have a God whose hand is big and powerful. He's well able to reach into your depths of darkness and raise you up once again. You may have deserted God, but God has not deserted you. It's His promise. Here's the second application. If God brings you to it, He will bring you through it. Look at verse 3. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Let me ask you the question. Who hurled Jonah into the sea? The sailors were mere agents for God 
was the person behind it. And God, who brought him into a situation for a purpose, also knew how to get Jonah out of it. The very reason God brings us sometimes to a difficult place is to show us the futility of our idols. Look at how Jonah finishes his prayer. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have loved, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah, in his moment of utter helplessness, drowning in the bottom of the sea, cries out to God and now affirms this great truth. Salvation is from the Lord. When God brings us to a difficult place, we get frantic. We try to bail ourselves out of it. But then you finally realize the gods and idols that you've been serving all along have no power to deliver you from this mess. Money, a false sense of security, pleasure, relationships, none of them can bail you out. They all will betray you and let you down. And at that moment in your life, you are confronted with the greatest truth of all. Salvation comes from the Lord. The God who brought you into it is the only one who can bring you through it. And when Jonah realized this truth, God commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. This is called deep water rescue. And only God, only God is capable of pulling an act like that. As I bring my message to a close, I want to take you back to Jessica's story. Jessica sat before me that day, and she cried and cried. What could she do to undo her mistakes? What is the way out? We prayed for divine intervention. And I agreed to meet with her and her fiancé. So in our next meeting, I shared the gospel with this young man. And Jessica looked at him with tears streaming in her cheeks. She said, I love you. Jesus loves you. And I want to see you in heaven. I tell you, the sincerity of her words pierced his heart. And I felt at that moment God was clearly at work in this young man's life. That very weekend, he came to church, attended our worship service, sat right here. God was speaking to him once again, clearly. At the end of the service, that young man walked down the aisle, knelt here in this very altar, and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Just talked to them on the phone this past week and they said they're happily married and still serving the Lord and living for the Lord passionately that day God heard a young woman's cry as she reached out to him in desperation he rescued her 
And I know that not every story ends that way. And not for a moment I'm even saying that you should marry a non-Christian and hope that he will get saved one day. That is not my point. But all I want to do today is to draw our attention to the power of God to rescue us from a hopeless situation. For so many of us in this room, we can testify. When we strayed away from God, we landed in a mess. We fell flat on our face. Our life was in shambles. And God was not standing at a safe distance watching us from far. He did not allow us to reap the full consequences of our actions. When we thought it was all over and we lost all hope, it looked so bleak and we were drowning in deep waters, God intervened. He came through. His hand reached out and saved us from the pit. And that is why we have a testimony today to share that brings hope to so many other people. And if you're sitting here and you know your life is going in one direction. It's going downhill. And you know, it's only a matter of time before you're going to hit rock bottom. God is speaking to you right now. And He's trying to get your attention. All you need to do is look up and cry out to Him because His arms are waiting to receive you and he is well able to save you from your mess. I know there are some of you here. You need God's desperate help. You need a divine rescue. And I want to ask you by faith to step out and come forward and pray with someone from our prayer team. And we're going to believe that God is going to come through. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And he, he will demonstrate His power in this place. So if you have a prayer concern, just feel free to walk even right now. I'm going to close our time in prayer. Lord, we thank You that all that we ever need is Your love. Thank You for this great truth when we didn't understand this truth we wandered far from you we went astray we brought such pain upon ourselves we landed in a mess but thank you for your power to save for your power to reach out to deliver and set free Lord you are an amazing God we worship you because you still transform people's lives today and I want to pray for those here right now who need a divine rescue. Lord, that you will demonstrate your power. And we pray that you will grant them a personal salvation. That you will hear their cries and bring them out of the pit. So Lord, come and minister to us in the power of your spirit in a way that you alone can. And even as we leave this place, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 